Listen to any earnings call with the Borstar Earnings Call mobile app now available on the App Store. Check the show notes for the download link. Good day. My name is Daniel, and I will be your operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the Kraft Heinz Company's second quarter 2018 earnings conference call. As a reminder, this conference call may be recorded. I will now turn the call over to Chris Jakubik, Head of Global Investor Relations. Mr. Jakubik, you may begin. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining our business update. We'll start today's call with an overview of our second quarter and first half results, as well as an update on our 2018 plan from Bernardo Hess, our CEO, and David Knopf, our Chief Financial Officer. Then, Paolo Basilio, President of our U.S. Zone, will join the rest of us for the Q&A session. Please note that during our remarks today, we will make some forward-looking statements that are based on how we see things today. Actual results may differ materially due to risks and uncertainties, and these are discussed in our press release and our filings with the SEC. We'll also discuss some non-GAAP financial measures during the call today. These non-GAAP financial measures should not be considered a replacement for and should be read together with GAAP results. And you can find the GAAP to non-GAAP reconciliations within our earnings release and at the end of the slide presentation available on our website. Now, let's turn to slide two, and I'll hand it over to Bernardo. Thank you, Chris, and good morning, everyone. Similar to our Q1 results, our second quarter results were better than we expected at the time of our last earnings call. The transitory factors that lead us to be cautious on the near-term sales play out much as expected, including the headwinds in the United States from planters in Orida, and the impact from retail inventory change in Canada. That said, we delivered slightly better net sales than expected. This was driven by encouraging ongoing improvement in retail consumption trends in most countries and most categories, as well as strong food service performance in a number of key countries. At EBITDA, we spoke about near-term pressures in the United States, Canada, and the rest of the world from a combination of accelerated commercial investment, significant cost inflation, especially freight, as well as strong comparisons with the prior year in every region. Still, we deliver stronger than expected EBITDA from a solid productivity gains in EMEA, as well as better growth in certain rest of the world markets. In addition, and perhaps even more important, we continue to make progress in building the capabilities and putting in place the go-to-market plans that we expect will generate top-line growth going forward. Many of you have asked why we're so confident in our ability to deliver the top line and what specifically will drive it. So on this slide three, we have laid out many of the key initiatives we expect will help us build momentum into the second half by region, by brand. In the United States, we saw consumption trends improve as Q2 unfolded, and as Planters Club comparisons fade, and as Orida and cold cuts activity and distribution improves, 
we're targeting top-line growth in the third quarter. Our focus is on incremental volumes and mix improvements, coming from new products like Lunchables Around the World flavorings, Oscar Mayer plates, Just Crack an Egg, Heinz Rio mayonnaise, as well as planters, where we brought back consumers' favorite cheese balls and cheese curls for a limited time. In addition, we're planning stronger in-store activity as we move forward, including back-to-school, behind mainstays like Oscar Mayer, Kraft Cheese, Lunchables, and Kraft Sun, as well as continue Philadelphia's growth with strong holiday programs. In Canada, while the impact of tariffs on sales is still largely unknown, we continue to feel good about getting Canada back to growth track by year end. This should come on building on the good performance we are seeing in coffee pots, frozen meals, and natural cheese slice innovation, as well as stronger merchandising behind Cracker Barrel cheese. In EMEA, we are looking to sustain the momentum we have seen from the positive consumption tailwinds that have been driving performance to date, including those coming from newly repatriated craft and bullseye brands. In the second half, we also see opportunities for improvement for both white space and innovation initiatives, including Heinz in Middle East, Africa and Eastern Europe, the recent launch of bullseye barbecue in the UK, and plasma infant biscuit in Italy. And in our rest of the world market, as some of the short-term headwinds we have recently experienced start to fade, we expect some drivers to show to in a stronger way in the second half. These include the strong growth and turnaround of Complan in England, the repatriation of craft brands and our Cerebus acquisition in Australia, New Zealand, Heinz condiments in Brazil and Mexico, Kraft Mayo in Brazil, and Sauce's white space expansion in Central America and the Southern Cone. Outside of traditional retail, I also add that we have innovation, distribution, and assortment initiatives underway in food service to drive substantial incremental gains in each region. As well as in the e-commerce channel, where in the United States alone, we're up more than 75% in both Q2 and to the first half. And our online portfolio is now over-indexed market share versus traditional retail channels. In total, this is by far the strongest innovation pipeline we have had in place in our short history as craft lines. At the same time, and something we have been talking about, are the commercial investments and capabilities to play more offense. It gives us further confidence in our ability to change trajectory in both distribution and consumption, especially behind innovation. On slide four, we show again the six goals from the framework we introduced early this year. During the second quarter and into the second half of 2018, we continue to make strides 
in each area. I just talked about our brand building initiatives, pushing into new categories, new segments, new occasions, and doing this with a focus on incrementality, not just graph sales from new items. We will strongly support this, for instance, through data-driven marketing, where we are putting our in-house tools to work to drill deeper into quality impressions. We are concentrating on building even more native impressions, or impressions that are created by being part of the conversations of consumers' everyday lives, and earned impressions where you can create the news and share it through media coverage. For those of you in the United States, you have seen this at work with our highest mayor chop and country time legal aid campaigns, helping to drive improving consumption trends. Year to date, we estimate that native and earning PR impressions we have generated in the United States alone is greater than all of 2017 and double what you generate in full year 2016. And you have more coming to support our second half initiatives. In both category management and go-to-market capabilities, we now have more capacity to drive category and brand growth as our product pipeline will be fully in place in Q3. In category management, while we have significant potential still ahead, there are key areas of improvement we can leverage right now. At retail in the United States, for instance, our efforts have been targeted at improving SKU adoption, distribution and velocities, to assortment management and planograms. And in Canada, our in-house tools and discipline retail and routines are in place to help set pricing guidelines and guardrails, as well as conduct pre- and post-event analysis, all with aim to make more informed decisions and improve returns. In go-to-market capabilities, the next wave of our in-house, in-store sales teams is now in place in the United States, on track to more than double by the end of the year. With that, we believe that we now have critical mass to see a measurable impact on future in-display conversion, out-of-stock and planogram compliance, just as we ramp up our second half sales plan. When our capabilities and products news come together, we see measurable, incremental, and sustainable gains. We see Oscar Mayer hot dogs increase households penetration and velocity, grow dollar sales and gain share. This is happening now behind our For the Love of Hot Dogs campaign and a step up in store activity at Memorial Day and 4th of July. We see successful breakthrough innovation like our Just Crack and Act platform. Just over six months in the market, with launch velocity roughly two times our estimates. Top quartile trial and repeat, and proving to be a successful bridge between convenience and freshness. 
and internationally when our marketing, category management, and go-to-market capabilities come together, we hit the ground running. We newly repatriate and acquire brands like Bullseye and Kraft in Europe and Cerebos in Australia and New Zealand. Both are performing ahead of plan. Finally, the backbone of everything we do, operations, people, and corporate social responsibility, are fully aligned and even more capable to execute our plans. In operations, we continue to deliver against aggressive, industry-leading targets in quality, safety, and customer service in nearly all geographies we operate. Customer service, in particular, has been an area of significant focus and investment, and we have made significant improvements in the United States and Canada. And in people during Q2, we leverage our marketing playbook and category master programs to close any gaps in best-in-class skills and capabilities, and further deploy our new in-house tools. And on the CSR front, Early this week, we expanded our environmental commitment. We aim to deliver 100% recyclable, reusable, or compostable packaging by 2025. And we are doing our part to accelerate the transition to a low-carbon economy by joining the science-based targeted initiative and working to set science-based carbon reduction goals. So, to summarize, our first half results came in better than expected. Our second half commercial plans are the most robust since the 2015 merger. And now, it's up to us to execute with excellency. I will now hand it over to David to provide more color on our key two results and how our plans for the second half are likely to play out in our financial results going forward. Thank you, Bernardo, and hello, everyone. Turning to our results on slide five, total company organic net sales were down 40 basis points in Q2, sequentially better than Q1, and as Bernardo said, somewhat better than what we expected at the time of our last call. Pricing was positive for the fourth consecutive quarter up 1.3 percentage points in Q2 and 1.1 percentage points in the first half. In both periods, this was driven by a combination of pricing to offset local input costs in rest-of-world markets and carryover pricing in both the U.S. and Canada that more than offset stepped-up in-store and new product activity in EMEA. Volume mix was 1.7 percentage points lower in Q2 and two points lower for the first half due to known headwinds in the United States and Canada that overshadowed strong growth in EMEA. By segment, the U.S. was slightly better than our initial expectations. As expected, planners and ERIDA had a negative impact of approximately 1.5%, and the combination of trade spend timing and Easter shift was roughly one point of headwind to Q2 net sales. Excluding these factors, underlying U.S. consumption again exceeded reported results and showed a slight sequential improvement from Q1. 
And I would add that consumption has continued to improve based on the data we've seen so far for July. In Canada, results reflected the anticipated combination of comparisons with prior year promotional activity that was not repeated, primarily in condiments and sauces, as well as trade inventory adjustments and select product discontinuations. EMEA had another strong quarter driven by strong condiments and sauces growth across the zone, including solid consumption gains for both the craft and bullseye brands. Strong gains in food service in every region are also contributing to EMEA growth. And in rest of the world, while top line growth was supported by pricing, another quarter of strong ball mix gains in condiments and sauces across the majority of regions and strong growth of comp plan in India were again held back by one-off factors. In Q2, this included lower sales of canned seafood in Indonesia and the trucker strike in Brazil. That said, we do expect sequential improvement in rest of the world moving forward. At EBITDA, Q2 performance was slightly better than expected, although the drivers were consistent with our expectations. Specifically, we had solid gains from productivity savings and net pricing, gains that were offset by inflationary pressures, primarily elevated freight and resin costs, as well as costs associated with our aggressive commercial investment agenda. And at adjusted EPS, we were up two cents versus Q2 last year, driven primarily by a roughly 720 basis point reduction in the tax rate on adjusted earnings. Overall, our first half financial performance was consistent with the type of start to the year we expected, if not somewhat better than expected at the profit line, and provides a solid base from which to build. Which brings us to our outlook on slide six. As Bernardo outlined, we believe things are in place for us to push a more aggressive growth agenda in the second half. From a strong innovation pipeline, distribution gains across channels, as well as expanding our brands into geographic white space. Despite the slow start, with several transitory headwinds and recent key commodity weakness in the U.S., we believe we're in a strong position to deliver organic growth for the full year. And therefore, we continue to expect that 2018 will be a year where the first half, second half balance of net sales will be skewed to the second half. Our organic net sales growth is expected to begin now in Q3, with the U.S. growing and EMEA and rest of the world sustaining momentum. In Canada, with near-term risks at play, it may be Q4 until we see the turn. To support this growth, and given our confidence in the pipeline of activities that Bernardo described, we're planning our commercial investments to be at the high end of the $250 to $300 million range we previously discussed mainly in the form of more working media dollars. At the same time, we think it's appropriate to be more conservative in the near term with expectations around adjusted EBITDA. And instead of the second half skew that we've previously talked about, we now expect more of a 50-50 split to the year. This is driven by three factors. One is that we will be at the high end of our planned commercial investments that I just mentioned. Two is our stronger than expected first half delivery. And three is cost inflation, where a number of areas have stayed higher for longer than we anticipated, mainly in freight and transportation, 
packaging, both resins and cardboard, as well as tariff risk currently impacting foil and aluminum costs in the U.S. and certain products we sell in Canada. Net, net, our savings curve will take more time to overcome the incremental cost inflation we expect during the remainder of 2018. So as we assess Q3 prospects, the combination of greater than expected inflation, a more aggressive investment posture, and difficult comparisons on variable compensation versus last year will mean that Q3 adjusted EBITDA dollars are likely to be down a greater order of magnitude than what we saw in the first half of the year. That said, we do expect our constant currency adjusted EBITDA trend to improve by year end and gain further momentum into 2019 with productivity, net of cost inflation accelerating while the recovery top line momentum continues. Below the line, we are still targeting adjusted EPS growth and strong cash generation in 2018. This should be aided by tax favorability where we now expect an effective tax rate of approximately 21% for the full year in 2018. I will also note that based on successful recent refinancing activity, we now expect incremental interest expense in 2018 of roughly $80 million versus the $100 million we previously outlined. And in terms of cash generation, we continue to expect a significant step up in 2018, despite a near-term headwind to working capital from recent termination of our accounts receivable securitization and factoring program in the U.S. To close, I think it's worth repeating the thoughts that we've expressed all year, that we're developing capabilities to create brand and category advantage to achieve profitable growth, that we're investing aggressively now in order to see benefits sooner, and that these factors will shape our near-term results in 2018 and will drive sustainable, profitable growth into 2019 and beyond. Now we'd be happy to take your questions. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. If you have a question at this time, please press the star, then the number one key on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, please press the pound key. Again, that's star, then one to ask a question. To prevent any background noise, we ask that you please place your line on mute once your question has been stated. Our first question comes from Andrew Lazar with Barclays. Your line is now open. Morning, everybody. Morning. Morning. Yes, um, I guess I'll kick it off with, um, with with all of the investments and capabilities that, that you've been making recently and, um, and clearly some of the renewed confidence in, you know, the organic top-line growth uh, starting, you know, as of 3Q. I guess, do you feel as though this makes uh, Kraft Heinz more willing to perhaps consider assets that may require a bit more heavy lifting rather than ones that, you know, already have better growth prospects but would certainly come at, at higher multiples? Hi, Andrew. Here's Bernardo. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, look, let, let me start with, 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 the, with the investment uh, part of, of, of your questions. We, we're happy. Uh, we accelerate uh, the investments we, we announced at the, at the beginning of the year, creating the capabilities uh, that I really believe are going to stay here. Uh, you're going to start seeing the second half of this year, but are going to stay with us in 2019 and, and, and beyond, right, Be, behind uh, go-to-market uh, sales teams, uh, channels. 
activation, innovation, marketing dollars, and, and so on. We always said that was a, a, a one-off uh, in investment that we would see results in the year uh, to come. So we are, we are happy with, with, with the program. And as we always said as well, we, we wouldn't hesitate to sacrifice a point of margin to generate accelerate growth on the, on the top line. With that in mind, your question is, given the capabilities we are building now, uh, how this play on, on, on an M&A uh, or more organic uh, plans for the company, right? What, what I can say about that is it, pretty much what we have been saying and have been consistent for quite some time. Our, our framework has really not changed, right? The fact that you like big brands, the fact that you like business that can travel and international, the fact that we do like to take synergies from the existing business and to reinvest behind brands, behind products, and behind people. Uh, I don't think that the, the, this framework changed because of the capabilities we are developing. Why I can say that with the ex experience we have today, after being since Heinz 2013, five years, into the industry, the knowledge from the categories, the knowledge of the things that do work and things that you have seen that do not work and so on, allowed us to be much more confident where to put the money, what assets can be turned around and things that can really be within this uh, framework. And also to, to, be, to, to be sad that our ability to integrate and to, to connect companies for a bigger scale and so on, given that you have been doing that for quite some time, and every time we have been doing better, got faster, and you have a better understanding. To our question about assets, lower growth or higher growth and so on, I don't think that changed with what we have in mind from a framework standpoint. Great. Thanks very much. Thank you. And our next question comes from Alexia Howard with Bernstein. Your line is now open. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, can I ask about the uh, the pricing environment in North America? Um, it seems as though it's been pretty challenging for the last 18 months or so. Um, you've obviously got some positive uh, pricing that's, uh, that's, that's running through now. How do you expect, expect that to play out in the second half? And just how do you see the environment and the retailer uh, relationship playing out from here on out? Hi, Alexia. This is Paul. So, again, we, we believe uh, that we have uh, strong brands. Uh, we have a differentiated products. We have a strong uh, innovation pipeline. And so far, uh, we've been able to price our brands and products uh, in line what we perceive to be the, the, the value to the consumer. So, uh, but uh, we always keep in mind it's very important to us to strike the, the right balance between market share, uh, distribution, uh, and profitable volume. You know? So uh, in this, uh, this balance will play very different, differently in each category that we play. So today, uh, I can say that the relationship we have with customers are, 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 very, are going very well and a very clear connection with all of them. 
And so do you, do, do you expect the pricing to strengthen as we get into the back half or the price mix to, to improve? Listen, as, as, as a matter of practice, we don't forecast pricing uh, uh, for, for the future. What, what we can say that uh, the growth that we expect to have in the second half is going to be more balanced through to volume mix. Thank you very much. I'll pass it on. Thank you. And our next question comes from Brian Spillane with Bank of America. Your line is now open. Hey, uh, good morning, everyone. Um, good morning. Just two questions related to, to the investment in capabilities, the P&L investment this year. I think if I remember correctly, you're spending about $300 million, P&L dollars, against it. And I guess two things. One, <clears throat> um, is this sort of an ongoing expense, meaning will, will it be an incremental headwind again, as we kind of move into the future, or is it sort of a one-year step up? And then second, if um, you could talk a little bit about how those investments um, specifically would help you, or do they at all improve your ability to integrate acquisitions? So, like, the difference between integrating without these capabilities versus what it was before. Thanks, Brian. It's Bernardo. Uh, the, the, the investments were announced. What, what really scaled up was, was a one-off, uh, the $300 million that you wanted to accelerate the capabilities you had in the company, in, in, in go-to-market, uh, channel activation, uh, in, innovation launch platforms, and, and, and service levels with, with the specific uh, investments direct to specific customers, in, especially in the United States. So that, I would say, it, it, it's coming really well, creating the capabilities the company has for the future. Not only we expect to see that already as some results in the second half of the year, but 2019 and beyond. Uh, that is, like we said before, uh, a, a step up as a one-off, okay? Related to the second part of her question about the capabilities of, of, of integrating faster and, and, and in an M&A environment, how this would happen, and those capabilities will help us. I think, like I said uh, at the first question, uh, the learning and the experience you have today allowed us to have a better knowledge on each one of the categories, right? And those capabilities are created when you think about revenue management, assortment management, planogram, go-to-market, uh, breakthrough innovation, uh, channel mix, uh, activation in, 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 in e-commerce, food service, uh, clubs, uh, drug stores, uh, all, all these kinds of capabilities, they are scalable in an organic environment. And if I could just follow up, David, is it still $300 million that you're spending back this year? Hi, Brian. This is David. Uh, that's correct. We talked about <clears throat> at the beginning of the year commercial investments and investments in service between 250 to $300 million. So now we expect to be on the high end of that at, at closer to 300 All right. So if we're thinking about the EBITDA guide for the year, even though you're having to face some inflation, you chose to con actually spend at a high end of the investment either, either way because of the, it's going to make sense longer term. Yes, that's correct. All right. Thank you. Thank you. And our next question comes from Rob Dickerson with Deutsche Bank. Your line is now open. Uh, thank you. Good morning. Um, 
so I, I two quick questions. I guess the you know the first question uh, just in cadence uh, for the for the rest of the year Q3 versus Q4. Is there you know in in terms of the what you said about Q3 that Q3 EBITDA would be down uh, slightly more than it it was down in the first half of the year. Um, it, you know, and then and then and then we should see you know a, a pick back up in Q4. Um, just you know, relative to internal uh, forecast originally from the beginning of the year, is is there you know is there is there a change to the full year? Just to be clear, or is it you know so some came in a, a little bit better in the first half and really in Q2, but then it'd be a little bit worse in Q3. Or, you know, how should we think about kind of, you know, where you are right now and how you view the full year versus where you viewed the full year at the end of 17? That's it. Sure. Hi, Rob. This is uh, David. Thanks for the question. So in terms of uh, the second half cadence, so I'll start with Q3. So our profitability in the quarter in Q3 versus last year is going to be driven by three factors. So first, we expect that the swing from overhead favorability we mentioned last year to a more normal incentive compensation accrual this year to be roughly 75 to 100 million in the quarter. Uh, second, as noted, we plan to be at the high end of our commercial investments for the year. So again, the uh, high end of the range of the 250 to 300 million I mentioned, and this is to support our, our second half growth initiatives more strongly. And third is the fact that the additional inflation we noted is running ahead of our savings curve in the short term. So, so those are really the three factors in Q3 that are, that are going to drive that trend. Going forward in Q4, we expect our comparisons to ease and our savings curve to accelerate, um, although we, we think it's best to maintain a conservative set of expectations with regard to cost inflation. So that's why we think uh, the, the year is going to look a little bit more balanced uh, versus what we talked about earlier in the year. Okay, great. And then just quickly uh, on tariffs, you know, I, I think I, you know, I, I heard you uh, call out, you know, a few you know, inflationary uh, aspects of you know, uh, tariff effects on specific commodities. Is there um, some potential risk, though, in terms of volumes? Do you foresee? And, and just a very general, uh, it's just a very general question. Yes. So in terms of tariffs, I, I think the point that I want to get across is, you know, given what we're seeing, we want to be conservative, and, and, and that drives our kind of outlook for the year. Um, but you know, these types of things, we're not exactly sure what will stick and for how long. So uh, we're not going to take a stance yet on you know potential uh, actions that we can take to, to offset those things. So I, I'm not going to talk about that now. But I think given those factors and uh, some of the cost inflation we're seeing in the market, uh, again, we're, we're going to have this kind of more conservative stance on the year. Super. Thank you so much. Thank you. And our next question comes from Chris Grow with Stiefel. Your line is now open. Hi. Good morning. 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 Hi. I just had two quick questions for you. I wanted to ask, first of all, if you look at this quarter, uh, if you think of like uh, the old PNOC, pricing net of commodity inflation, is that is that positive or negative in the quarter here, such that are you getting pricing through given this accelerated rate of non-commodity inflation? That's my first question. Sure. Hi, Chris. This is David. So um, I won't talk specifically on the quarter, but I'd say overall for the year, you know, we continue to expect pricing relative to our key commodities uh, to, be, to be stable. Um, we have recently seen some key commodities come down more recently and, and, and expect that for the year. But as a matter of practice, we're not going to discuss potential future uh, pricing actions relative to that. But 
Um, you know, as, as Paulo said earlier, we're confident in the strength of our brands and we'll continue to strike a balance between market share distribution and profitable volume as it relates to commodities. And so just to be clear, does, does non-key commodity inflation come into your uh, thinking as you're approaching pricing? Not that you're going to tell me what you're going to do, but is that a factor you consider in terms of your pricing, or is it something you have to offset with cost savings? Yes, so it's certainly, you know, part of the equation there. We're not going to provide, you know, color on, on, on pricing going forward, but uh, between commodities, uh, non-key commodity inflation, you know, we think in terms of pricing and, and potential productivity initiatives to offset that. Okay. I had just one question as well, and you've you've had some some weight on your sales from Planters and Oscar Mayer and Arita. Um, I think you approached much easier comparisons on that front in the second half of the year. Is is that right? Those those kind of uh, you get get past a lot of those issues in the second half, and do those shift to growth in the second half of the year uh, as a result of that? Uh, hi, Chris. This is Paulo. Yeah, I think that is one of the components. I as 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 we said. We are we are we are confident that we're expecting uh, uh, sales to grow in U.S. in the second half. I think uh, one component that we're seeing is that you know you can see that our categories are improving, our categories now are growing, uh, and on, on, on top of that, the bank headwinds in share that we were seeing, uh, these negative headwinds, we expect them to fade. I can give examples of uh, cold cuts, Orida. Uh, uh, loss distributions that we had, <clears throat> the capacity restrictions we had. Now we have uh, the capacity in place, so we expect to recover this distribution. I can also say that, uh, on top of that, uh, we are going to see our we have a strong innovation pipeline coming uh, to the market that's already distributed, uh, and also uh, a much better and stronger uh, programming driving uh, improvement uh, in consumption. So pretty much this is the, the, the main pillars uh, for, to support our uh, expectations for growth uh, the business in the second half. Okay. Thank you very much. Welcome. Thank you. And our next question comes from Michael Lavery with Piper Jaffrey. Your line is now open. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, two quick ones. You mentioned food service a couple times. I was wondering if you could just elaborate a little bit on some of your initiatives there, what the opportunities is, are, and how much is it uh, white space driven that you're, you're filling in gaps? And then just second, following up on Andrew's question a little bit, how do you handicap the, the ability of a brand to travel, and how do you think about that when you are evaluating inorganic growth? Hi, Michael. It's, it's Bernardo. Uh, in respect to food service, it, it, it has been actually a white space opportunity worldwide, not only uh, here in the United States, that we have been growing now for the second year in a row, uh, but, but worldwide has been double digits growth in, in, in Europe. Uh, we have seen many countries in, in Asia uh, that have been ex experienced growth in food service. We remember we're building a factory in, 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 in countryside uh, Brazil in, in the state of, of, of Goiás that there is a significant volume related to food service. So it has been a strategic decision uh, from the company to create capabilities in different zones in, 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 in countries uh, uh, to, to push this. We, we do believe our products resonate in a big way, there are some adaptations, and I think we're getting better as a company to create uh, 
to create the, 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 the right uh, packaging, the right product assortment, to understand the dynamics of, of, of this channel uh, that, that are different than, than the normal retail uh, channel. Uh, so that has been uh, something that has been improving the company. We do expect that to continue in the, in the years to come and do expect us to get better and to be stronger in the food service channel than we've ever been. Again, not only in the United States that has been more a reality for, for some time, but other parts of the world. The second part of her question about the capabilities and, and, and how to evaluate from an M&A uh, standpoint, uh, Remember, we, we, we we're seeing that and we're doing that, taking brands from existing countries and making them on a, on, on a global or zone stage now for, for, for some time, right? We had the repatriation of craft this year in Europe, uh, in, in Australia. Uh, I think a good example uh, that, that is unfolding as we speak is, is, is the launch of Bullseye. Uh, barbecue and, and, and premium sauces in UK and continental Europe. Uh, we were seeing craft being deployed now in Latin America. The launch in, 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 in Brazil is being launched in many countries in, in Asia. We're seeing planters being deployed in, in, in UK, continental Europe, China, and, and other countries. So we have been doing that. I, I don't think and understanding the category and having a stronger brand that resonates sometimes in a country uh, like America, in the case of Bullseye, it was very strong in Germany, and now we're making uh, in different countries in Europe, but understanding the, 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 the strength of the brand, what is the category drivers and what consumers want I think the connection is it, 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 quite there. As we evaluate new brands on organic, for, for sure always there are risks. But I would say our experience today allowed us to be more assertive uh, about it. That's great. Thank you very much. Thank you. And our next question comes from Jason English with Goldman Sachs. Your line is now open. Hey, good morning, folks. Thank you for the question. Um, morning. Question, quick, quick question for clarification. Did I hear you right that you're now expecting EBITDA to be about a 50-50 split, front half, back half? Hi, Jason. This is David. That's right. We expect uh, it to be a little bit more balanced 50-50 for the year. That implies that EBITDA, if we, we just kind of track with the first half, would be, uh, would be down year on year uh, by – Bit over 200 million. Last quarter, you guys got it for organic EBITDA growth, um, and you mentioned that first half is exceeding expectations. I'm kind of interpreting this to, to mean that you're, you're lowering your full year EBITDA guidance by about 300 million. Is, is that wrong? Um, and given that you've over delivered, it's, it's really all coming in the back half. Uh, I know you've got some cost creep with some items, but you also mentioned some of your key commodities uh, trending down. What am I missing to, to bridge that all the way to that 300-ish sort of million-dollar uh, difference? Sure, Jason. This is David. So let, let me walk you through kind of the, the, the cadence of what we're seeing for the rest of the year. So 
you know, we continue to have good visibility on significant productivity and cost savings initiatives for the remainder of the year and going into 2019 as well. That said, as I talked about, we're seeing additional cost inflation that in the immediate term uh, is outpacing the savings curve, and, and, and this is kind of two factors. So first, you know, we have some costs that are staying higher for longer, and in some cases like freight, they're continuing to climb this year. And then second, um, as I talked about, we have some headwinds from tariffs as well, uh, of which we're not exactly what, sure what will stick or for how long, but um, for those reasons, we think it's, it's better to take a more conservative stance. At the same time, we have an opportunity to drive sustainable consumption gains from investments that, that Bernardo mentioned uh, in our commercial pipeline. So again, you know, we think it's best to kind of head into the second half with a more conservative set of expectations around near-term EBITDA dollars especially for Q3, as I mentioned, and continue to focus on sustainable top and, and bottom line growth going forward. Okay, thank you. I'll pass it on. Thanks. Thank you. Our next question comes from Scott Mushkin with Wolf Research. Your line is now open. Thanks, guys. I uh, appreciate the questions. So I wanted to go back to the M&A. Um, question I get a lot is, you know, why hasn't something happened? You know, the, obviously we know that you guys have, you know, been out there trying to, you know, looking at different assets. I guess I wanted to take a step back and understand, you know, your your take on the landscape of M&A clearly still does matter a lot, especially with Walmart in the North American market. Walmart taking as much volume shares they are, it'd be nice to have, you know, the CPG companies consolidate a little bit more aggressively, especially you guys. And I'm wondering if you think there's some structural impediments to that. Hi, he's Bernardo. If uh, if I understood uh, correct the question about if there is something structure that would be uh, in the middle of more consolidation and M&A in the industry, right? And then you, you relate to the the Walmart example and, and so. Uh, we really don't see that way. I think uh, I think uh, the food industry is an industry that has not consolidated with the same speed as as, as other uh, as other industries. Uh, there, there are some reasons for that, given local taste and, 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 and regulations and, and other things, but not to the extent we have seen it. So we do believe, looking uh, middle long term, that that there will be more consolidation uh, in the industry, and we have not a shine to say that we want to be a force uh, behind us uh, when 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 the process uh, happens, right? Uh, to, 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 to our point about uh, structural obstacles and, and so on, we, we, we don't see really any in, in that sense. I think, again, it's important in our case to, to, to be very disciplined on our, on our approach, our framework, right, that has not changed. We are disciplined on price to the value creation uh, uh, equation. I think we, we have proved that over time, uh, and that's something uh, we believe is important for the long-term value creation uh, equation. Okay, and, and I think also important to say we, 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 we don't 
do something to be happy for a quarter and then be regretting uh, for the long term, to be apologizing for the next couple of years. When you move, we definitely move with a much longer term view, believing that's something that's going to make the company stronger for the years to come. Okay, so then uh, I appreciate the answer. My follow-up question is, it just seems that in what the answers have been around pricing and kind of the back half of the year, I mean, my interpretation is that it's just hard to get price through. I mean, you talk about cost inflation and, you know, not being able to be offset by the underlying savings. Um, but that's my interpretation of what you guys have been saying. Is that interpretation incorrect? And I'll yield. Thanks. Uh, hi, hi, this is Paulo. No, I, I think that it's a balance. It's, it's always a balance as, 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 as we've been uh, discussing. Again, uh, we've been able to price uh, our brand so far, uh, but the way, the way that we approach this is not to price uh, to offset a specific cost. It's really to find and to strike the right balance between uh, uh, profitable volume, uh, distribution and share. So, so that's our approach. In, at the end of the day, uh, profitability is one of the components. It's not the only one. Uh, we see the business more uh, as, a, as, a, as how, how what's the, the is the position that we're going to take that's going to be healthier for the business. Looking to these uh, three components that we share. But so far, as we said, we've been able to price our, our portfolio in line with the, the with the value that we have that our products have to the consumer. So. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And our next question comes from David Palmer with RBC. Your line is now open. Good morning, everyone. Um, you've uh, listed a lot of reasons why sales were constrained in the first half uh, in emerging markets, U.S., Canada. And separately, you highlighted the analytics and sales investments. And to those two buckets, I would add that in some key commodity categories like cheese, you've had some big volume decline. So. I guess what I'm wondering is, going into the second half of the year, could you give some color about the reasons and timing for the sales recovery? Where will you see uh, the sales improve earlier and where later? Thanks. Uh, hi, this is Paul. I'm going to I speak for the U.S. here. Uh, pretty much the components are, are, are the ones uh, we were sharing. So first of all, uh, we are seeing our categories improving. So our categories are, are running positive uh, uh, today. Uh, many negative uh, shares uh, uh, that we saw uh, in the first half of the year are fading. Uh, we have the innovation pipeline coming. Uh, and again, when you see uh, what is giving us confidence on that in the U.S. is that when you see the consumption uh, figures that we, we have for July, uh, these already happened. We are already trading uh, uh, positive consumption uh, uh, in the month in July. So it's pretty much this, the combination of improvements in the categories. Uh, the negative headwinds that we had fading, investment in innovation, and better programming that is giving us this confidence for the second half. And, and David, from, from a worldwide uh, standpoint, we have uh, Europe, Middle, Middle East, and Africa continue to grow uh, with the same momentum they have in, in, in the first half of the year. We do see acceleration in Latin America, especially after the, 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 the strike event in Brazil in, in, in May, uh, in June, July, and, 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 and moving forward. We do see acceleration in, in some uh, countries in Asia where you have 
the one-offs with, with, with the problems with fish supply in Indonesia and, 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 and some inventory timing in China uh, behind us. Uh, and we do see a, a better uh, sequentially performance in Canada, right, given the, the level of activation and innovation coming to market in the second half of the year in the country. With, with, this, with this picture, together with Paul just mentioned, in the United States, we, we, we feel confident about the acceleration and the connection between the investment we announced in the beginning of the year and the results you're going to see in the top line uh, in the second half of the year, Q3, Q4, going into first half 2019. Thank you. Great. If we could uh, take maybe one more question. Thank you. And our final question comes from Jonathan Feeney with Consumer Edge. Your line is now open. Thank you very much for the question. Um, I guess a little bit of a follow-up, Bernardo. You talked about um, to Jason English's question. You know, when you think about, you talked about capabilities uh, investments, and for a company that's been very, very return focused and very successful doing so, I'm just wondering how much of these capabilities investments have a return that we can measure in 2019, 2020. And, and you know, if you could, I know you don't guide for 2019 or, or necessarily a long-term basis, but um, these new these investments you're talking about are these really just increases in the cost of competition versus what you might have thought on January 1st, or would do, would you really see that, you know, maybe versus where we were thinking January 1st, it's just a question of maybe profits being pushed forward into 2019 and subsequent years from these investments uh, relative to your expectations. Thank you. Hi, James. The, the way you see that, and, and, and if, if you think about what uh, we did, what's not really – a, a change on, on the plans we had. We knew the capabilities were there, and we knew uh, what to do. What, we, we took advantage of a better scenario uh, we had in the United States from, from a free cash flow standpoint, and, and we did accelerate the plans we had from a commercial standpoint uh, to drive those capabilities, right? So it's not something that was, was new to us, but the acceleration given the, the numbers we have been seeing in the pilots we run in 2016-17 allowed us to be confident about where you are deploying uh, the, the capital, right? Uh, and, and, and the reason you're going to see that, because a lot of, of the innovation that's coming to market uh, just crack an egg. We started in 2016, right? Uh, uh, planters crunchers, Heinz uh, Rio Mayo, Capri Sun Natural, Capri Sun Zero Sugar, Pasta Sauce, uh, Heinz in Continental Europe, Bullseye in Continental Europe, Heinz and Kraft Mayo in, in, in Southern Cone and, and, and Brazil in Latin America, right? Uh, the expansion of, uh, to, to biscuit category and nuts category in China. Right? All those things uh, we, we, had in time, we had in time and have been developed, but with the acceleration of those capabilities, understanding the categories, connecting to our few teams in some countries that we wanted to expand, getting our channels right, and so on, would allow us to be in a position, not only the second half, but 
looking at 2019 and 20 in a better way. That's what I'm saying. That's a one-off could enhance our capabilities, and then we come back to a normal plan. So looking 2019 and 20, you're probably going to go back to, to, to measure our returns in a normal year plan. What's the return given my results on net sales, my results in profitability, and, and, and so on. We continue to be very focused in value creation, right? That's us. We're a performance-driven company, and we are very pleased with the culture, with the way it's progressing, the morale, the way we're seeing the second half of the year, the way our employees, that's really the competitive advantage of the company, is really engaging with the plans we have for, for the short term in the second, in, in second half of 2018, but look in 2019 and, and beyond. So we, we do believe there is a return for that, and that's why we're confident in the investment we're making. Understood. Thank you very much. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes our question and answer session for today's call. I would now like to turn the call back over to Chris Jakubik for any further remarks. Thanks for joining us, everybody, uh, this morning. Uh, for, those of, for, for those analysts who have follow-up questions, Andy Larkin and I will be available uh, for your follow-ups. And for those in the media that have questions, uh, Michael Mullen will be available for you as well. So thanks again for joining us, and have a great day. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for participating in today's conference. This does conclude today's program, and you may all disconnect. Everyone, have a wonderful day.